In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the last Sunday of Epiphany. This Tuesday will be the last day of Epiphany when we celebrate Shrove Tuesday or what we call uh, Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras. And then Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, the first uh, day of Lent. So this is the last time that we are going to be focusing upon uh, this concept of epiphany, of God manifesting himself or revealing himself to his people. He's making himself uh, known to us. And the place where we start with uh, this is with Moses. And you'll remember that uh, Moses has this unique experience with God, uh, that he meets him on the mountain. And that uh, he goes uh, from Egypt. You'll remember that he's cast out. He's no longer welcomed by the Egyptians, uh, by Pharaoh's house. He's no longer welcomed by the nation of Israel. He's an outcast. And in the wilderness, he's taken in by Jethro, uh, the priest of Midian. And he's there working as a shepherd. And you'll remember that at the foot of the mountain of Sinai or what's called Horeb, that one holy mountain, uh, that the Lord appears to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses has this unique experience on that mountain where the Lord speaks to him and tells him, prepares him to go to the nation of Israel in Egypt and to uh, proclaim uh, that good news that he's going to lead them out of captivity. And so now that's happened. Now the people of Israel have come out of Egypt. They have left captivity. They've left slavery. Uh, They've gone into the wilderness and they've returned to that same mountain. They've gone back to Mount Sinai where Moses sees God in the burning bush. And there the Lord reveals himself even more profoundly to Moses and really to the whole nation as they see uh, the top of that mountain burning. Moses goes up on the mountain and we read uh, that he waits six days. This is backwards, right? These numbers are backwards. Moses goes up onto the mountain and the passage after what we read today, he receives the Ten Commandments and he receives uh, the way in which the people of Israel are supposed to worship the Lord. So he gets instructions on how to build the tabernacle, how to build the Ark of the Covenant, how it is that the nation of Israel is supposed to worship. And so uh, he is there to receive this understanding of Sabbath, this understanding of, of rest in God and of worship of Him and the fulfillment of that perfect worship. And yet we see that he waits six days, and then on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, that's when he walks up the mountain. It's supposed to be the other way around, right? You're supposed to walk and work six days and then rest on the seventh. Even before the Lord reveals his law, he shows how... In the Messiah's mission, Jesus turns that understanding of Sabbath rest on its head, confounding what the Pharisees had once believed. And we now understand that we are always supposed to be resting in God, and that we're always supposed to be working for His kingdom. We're always at rest, and we're always working, because His kingdom has come. And so he walks up the mountain on the seventh day, and the Lord reveals himself in this profound way. And we read that it takes the Lord, surprise, surprise, 40 days and 40 nights to reveal all this to Moses. That shouldn't be a surprise number for us at this point, right? We've seen this 40 a couple of times before, haven't we? The flood, 
The 40 years of wandering, the 40 days that Jesus is in the wilderness, this 40 again and again is a time when the Lord cleanses, He sets His people aside, He prepares them to do the work that He's calling them to do. He sets the stage for them in this 40. And so He's setting the stage for how it is that the nation of Israel is going to worship Him. It's exactly what we read happens in the fulfillment of this promise. That is, Jesus Christ our Lord. He fulfills all those things that God told Moses on the top of that mountain. And we read here again in Matthew's Gospel that these things take place six days later. So again, there's six days, and then on the seventh day, Jesus walks up the mountain. Again. It's backwards. Six days after, what is it that we're counting six days from? It's six days since Jesus told the apostles, I'm going to die and rise again. And they say, oh no, don't do that. That's a bad idea. Right? And he then explains to them, not only am I going to die and rise again, but you're going to die too. You're going to take up your cross and follow me. And if you have any part in me, they're going to treat you the same way that they treated me. And so it's six days after he reveals this basis, this foundation of the Christian life, which is to share in the sufferings of Christ, that he takes Peter, James, and John, three of the twelve, Again, an important number. Three of the twelve up onto the mountain. And on the seventh day, he reveals himself in prayer. St. Luke's Gospel tells us that he's in prayer. And it's the uncreated, divine light of God that reveals Jesus to be God incarnate. Bishop John David used to say that when we pray, a little window of heaven opens up in our hearts. When we're really connected with the Lord in prayer, a little window opens and we can start to feel that, what Christians have called before, that warm light, that glow, that movement of the Spirit. However it is that we've talked about it through the centuries, it's a little window of heaven that opens and a little bit of that divine light shows in our hearts. And every once in a while, when we're really intent and we've really devoted ourselves to the Lord, we can feel that warmth and that light go out to maybe the edges of our skin and we hear about some of the saints whose faces shine with that divine glory and that that wondrous power of God is revealed in them. Jesus is praying so profoundly, being God himself, that that window not only opens to the edges of his skin and the edges of his garments, but out so far that the apostles can see all the way into heaven to see who it is that he's talking with in heaven, Moses and Elijah. That's how far this window is opened in Jesus' prayer. It's so profound. And the fathers talk a lot about the importance of Moses and Elijah. And of course, the, the allegory, the allegorical understanding of who they are and what they represent is stacked. One level of meaning on top of another. So we always read scripture literally. So this is really Moses and really Elijah, really with Jesus on a real mountain. And they are representative. Moses and Elijah are there, but they also represent for us more, a profounder understanding, right? So Moses is death. He dies and he brings the law, which none of us have fulfilled. And since each of us have broken the law and the punishment is death, we have that condemnation of death upon us. 
So here's the law, and here's us. We've been condemned by it, and so Moses is the dead, and he's the law, the understanding of the holiness and righteousness of God that we can never achieve. Elijah, you'll remember, is brought up into heaven on that fiery chariot, and so he represents the living, right? He doesn't die in the flesh. He rises up into heaven in the fiery chariot, and he, of course, is the prophet's. So the way it is that we're supposed to live in God, the the ways in which we're supposed to be uh, following the righteousness of God. And so this is the living. And so you'll see that Jesus is establishing his kingdom in heaven. He's talking to both the living and the dead. He is fulfilling both the law and the prophets. He is meeting with the communion of saints All the saints in heaven who are alive in God because he is a God of the living, not a God of the dead. And so his whole kingdom is established here in this one prayer of transfiguration. And Peter rightly says, we need to build booths. It's the right answer. This is the remembrance, the the celebration of the tabernacles or Sukkot, right? This is the festival of ancient Israel where they celebrate the coming out of uh, the wilderness and they celebrate in those booths. And so he's saying this is the the festival. This is the remembrance of, of God bringing us out of slavery. But there's something even more profound than remembering a story. Now they're going to live the gospel. They're not going to remember what happened before. They're going to live in the kingdom of God in a profound and new way. And that's what St. Paul is trying to teach us in as many different ways as he can in Philippians. He comes at this in every different angle, right? I'm struggling to achieve life in Christ. Have I achieved it? No. Am I working to achieve it? Yes, I am. And in the middle of all that, he describes for us what it means to live in faith. Faith is not a belief. Faith isn't an idea in our heads. Faith is a relationship between us and God. It's a profound, intimate relationship. What does he say? He says, I have faith, which is the righteousness of God. So if I'm going to live in the righteousness of God, that means I have to be in relationship with Him. Righteousness is the way that we live, it's the way that we act, it's the way that we think, it's the way that we feel. And all of that depends on our relationship with God. He says, so that I may know Him. Now, English is a very rich language in some ways, and a very poor language in other ways, right? Here's an example of English being a poor language. We've got this word, know. Sometimes we say, I know your phone number. That's a different kind of knowing than to know a person, right? Sometimes we use that same poor language to say, oh yeah, I know that person. We don't. Versus really knowing in an intimate way somebody. If I told you that I knew Erin because I know what day she was born, or I know where she lives, or I know her favorite color, and you say, how well do you know your wife? And I say, well, I know her date of birth, and I know uh, where she was born. You, You would laugh, right? That's stupid, right? We want to say the same thing about our knowledge of God. Do you know God? Oh yeah, I know uh, what it says in the creed, and I know the books of the Bible, and I know... You say, no, that isn't knowing him at all. 
Knowing him is to share with him, to be in relationship with him. It says that I may share, share his sufferings. His sufferings are my sufferings. My sufferings are his sufferings. We're sharing in his sacrifice, in his humility. It says that I may become like him. That's a beautiful thing about being in relationship with somebody, right? Pick your partners well, right? Thanks be to God, he gave me Aaron. I get to become more like her, right? Thanks be to God. You can pray for her becoming more like me, right? But we become like the people that we love and the people that we share our lives with. We become like God when we share with Him and when we we have faith in Him, when we have relationship with Him. We share in His sufferings and we become like Him. This is faith. And St. Paul says, I haven't got it yet. Well, he's in prison. He's about to die. He's planted churches. He's performed miracles. If St. Paul didn't get it by this point, what hope is there for us? His hope is in Christ. He says, it's all been accomplished by Christ, and yet I continue to strive. How many different ways does he say that? I press on. He says, I press on again. He says that, that I, 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 I suffer, and he says I work, right? He says I forget and I strain forward. This is effort. This is desire. This is hunger and thirst to become like God and to dwell with him. Sometimes all that amazing white light And the transfiguration story makes us forget those couple of little words that the Father says. Listen to him. We just kind of pass over that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll listen to him. Do we? Are we? I'm not. I haven't. Not like I'm supposed to. Not like I want to. And that's what Lent is all about. Because we don't have the time in our lives. We don't have the room. We filled them with so much other stuff that it's like watching our cell phones when our kids are talking to us. It's like playing our video games and on our computers and reading our books and listening to our radios and on and on and on, all this stuff. And this isn't a new thing. The ancients had the same problem. St. Anthony in the desert all by himself had the same problem. To listen. To make room and listen to him. May we make room.